Our podcast today is brought to you by MedMastery, whose courses train you to solve any variety of patient problems you will encounter in practice. They offer CME-accredited courses, use evidence-based teaching principles, and cover a huge variety of clinical topics, including ultrasound. In the Point of Care Ultrasound Masterclass, there are almost 60 lessons on topics of airway, lung, echo, GI, vascular, MSK, scrotal, and volume status. I personally love how the graphics are so well done. These are really well put together videos to learn from. This is a great resource that many residency programs already used to train their clinicians, you can get a 15% discount on your lifetime subscription at medmastery.com slash ultrasound gel. That's M-E-D-M-A-S-T-E-R-Y dot com slash ultrasound gel. Ultrasound gel podcast. Ultrasound gel podcast. Hello and welcome back to the ultrasound gel podcast. We got the whole gang here today. I'm Mike Pratt, and I'm joined by my good friends, Craig Bolger, Jacob Avila, and we have some great ultrasound articles to discuss today. We're going to start off with a case, a case report, as we usually do. And this one is especially interesting to me. It is called the use of POCUS in the diagnosis of paradoxical vocal cord movement. Now, if you've ever seen one of these cases, you know they can be pretty scary because they seem like the person's about to die or occlude their airway or they have some life-threatening strider going on. These very smart physicians used ultrasound to put it on the patient's neck, find their vocal cords, see that one of them, at least, or there was something, some weird movement going on, and they diagnosed it on the spot, saved the day. Really cool case. Check it out. Nice images of vocal cords, which are really not that hard to find on most people. I just thought it was uh, really fascinating. Check it out. The link will be in the notes. Well, let's get on to our main event today. Cray, what are we talking about today? We are going to talk about the subxiphoid versus the parasternal long axis dun, 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 for cardiac arrest. This was in, or a spinoff of the REASON trial, so a large multi-center study published in GEM in January 2022. What they looked at, I know it's another cardiac arrest study, but this is kind of important and there's not a lot of other tools that can be utilized during cardiac arrest. So finding the way we can use POCUS most effectively and safer for our patients to get them the best outcomes is super important. So back to cardiac arrest we go. Now, some concerning things we've seen about ultrasound and cardiac arrest is that it keeps us off the chest longer than the recommended 10 seconds. There's ways we can avoid this, whether it's having a protocol you put in place, whether it's doing a countdown, whether it's having a timer holding you accountable. But what if you get a picture and it's suboptimal quality? And I think all of us have felt that way at one time or another about our subxiphoid images. This study looks at that. It says, is the subxiphoid the right view to do? You know, we kind of rely on that. It keeps us away from the chest, keeps us out of the way of the rest of the team. But is it the best view? Can we get better views faster that give us more information? And that's really where this paper comes into play. Again, can we get a better view with a single view echo faster with higher quality? So the title of this paper is a multi-center prospective study comparing subxiphoid and parasternal views during brief echocardiography, effect on image quality, acquisition time, and visualized anatomy. So Jacob, what did they do to investigate this important question? 
So first off, can you imagine like what if the Echo Probe grew little arms and when you were trying to pull it off at like nine seconds, you know, during the pull check, the little arms were holding on to the patient and were saying like, no, no, like I don't want to get off the chest. Like what if the ultrasound probe was actually the thing that delayed pulse checks? It's, it's like one of the things that kind of bother me a little bit is when people say that ultrasound delays the pulse checks first off. I don't think ultrasound does. I think people that take too long to get the echo views are the ones that delay pulse checks, not the ultrasound machine. It's the person doing it. That idea with the arms gives me a great idea. What if after like eight seconds or something, an electrical charge from the probe went to the user's hand so that they kept getting like increasing amounts of pain to their hand until they eventually had to drop it? I mean, it works for my dog. Dude, we're going to we're going to make a million dollars off of this. But I think that that's one of the questions these people, the study authors here were trying to ask is, you know, how long really does it take to get a good view and which view is the best view? Now, when I first read this view, uh, this study, and I saw that they included 6,247 echo images, I thought, man, that's a lot of cardiac arrest because they obtained the images basically in like five months, right? But what they did was they actually took essentially a convenient sample of patients in the emergency department that were not in cardiac arrest. So this was done over 29 emergency departments across the US and Canada. And it was done in about six months in 2019. And what they did is all clinicians who were participating in the study performed two echo views on 10 unique patients with a minimum of at least 20 total cardiac echo examinations per physician and 10 positions per site. For training, they, you know, they standardized it, they made sure everybody doing it had at least 25 proc echo examinations and they all watched a 10 minute video as far as the training. So what they did is they had the patients lay in the fully supine position. They were not supposed to take a big breath. They're not supposed to do anything to help out. So no moving over to the left lateral to cubitus view at all. And they had the investigators go get two specific views, the subxiphoid view, which is the one that we honestly usually teach for cardiac arrest. And then the parasternal long axis view. They actually had somebody else in the room that started a timer and had basically a 10 second timer and also to see how long it actually take them to get these views and they recorded those times. So the primary outcome for this study was the image acquisition time and comparing the difference between the parasternal and the short axis view. And then with their secondary outcomes, they were looking at image quality and what parts of the heart itself you could see with each of those views. All right. So what did they find? You know, this was a huge amount of echo images they had, as Jacob alluded to. They ended up with 6,247 images for their primary endpoint, which is amazing. And surprisingly, few were excluded prior to getting that number. So that is excellent. For the actual image elements, like looking at the anatomy of the different views, slightly less, only about 6,075 there because they lost some video. So looking at this population that they analyzed, remember, these are not cardiac arrest patients. These are just anybody hanging out in the emergency department as part of their, you know, 38-hour stay waiting for a bed. These were median age 52, 56% male, BMI 27 was the median. So let's get down to brass tacks. What did they find? The primary outcome of the image acquisition time was parasternal long axis 8.8 .8 seconds, subxiphoid 9.3 seconds. For those of you pretty good at math, that's a difference of 0.5 seconds. Now, they also analyzed this in a different way, which I think is really clinically helpful. What percentage of each of these views was less than 10 seconds? 
did you take less than 10 seconds, which is what we're trying to shoot for in cardiac arrest, which as we've belabored in the past, pretty low bar. But peristernal long axis, 59% less than 10 seconds, subxiphoid 56% less than 10 seconds. Not statistically different when they analyzed that. Now, they did a bunch of fancy things here, did some univariate and multivariate modeling, controlling for all the things that you think would be relevant, such as the sex, the different sites, the BMI. And when they redid that second analysis of the percentage less than 10 seconds, now the P became less than 0.05, which was their cutoff. I want to highlight a couple other interesting findings. There was so much that came out of this data, but remember they were interested in the image quality, which makes sense because if you're trying to say one is faster, you might think, well, it's faster, but maybe the images are just really bad and are uninterpretable. So let's make sure that's not the case. When they looked at the image quality, which they used a scale that has been published on before, they looked at good quality images. And it turns out that the personal long axis had more good quality images as well, 66% compared to 58% in the subxiphoid. And that also held true for poor quality images. There was more poor quality images in the subxiphoid view. That is kind of representative of the rest of the findings as well, where the personal long axis had better visibility of a lot of anatomy and was just overall faster, better quality. Although, question will be, is that to a clinically significant degree? When I look at this data, I think this is awesome. It's multi-center, lots of echoes to look at, really interesting question that's relevant to where we are with ultrasound in cardiac arrest. And they knocked it out of the park with the methodology. Pretty cool. What do you guys think of this? Like, does it change your management? Do you like this data? Is it going to do anything for you in the future? So I think this is great for a critically ill non-coding patient. I really liked one of their tables, it's table two, that like when you can get that high quality image, you're going to get it quickly, which almost leads you to a, if you can't find it, like move on type mentality, which we don't do a lot of, but maybe we should because the image quality didn't get much better after 10 seconds. Like if you're searching and searching and searching, it's probably not going to be there. I also liked table one because I think before, and it's still, I think, a consistent teaching that the most experienced person in the room should be doing the ultrasound to minimize time. But if you look at that table, you know, the number of echoes didn't correlate significantly with a decreased amount of time. And if you look at their documented ranges, 6 to 21 seconds for a single view, which is still a concerning range if this patient's in cardiac arrest. That 6 is a lovely number, but that 21, we're going to have to work like double time to reperfuse the brain after that. I also really love this scoring system. I think it's a reasonable scoring system. And I think is what we actually are trying to do at the bedside. But I re- did like table two that like, if you're going to get a beautiful picture, you're going to get it quick. It's kind of how, what I took away from that. And if you're struggling, I think maybe that's a move on in a critically ill patient instead of trying to get that one view you're comfortable with. Things I didn't like is that the peristernal long during CPR is just not super reasonable to me. Like you're gelling up the t- chest, you're going to have to gel it up, wipe it down. You can't get ready before a pulse check because you're in the way of the person doing compressions. I love an apical four during CPR. It's my go-to view. I'm out of the way. I can stay there the whole time. I can ultrasound my little heart's content. And 
watch your compressions and not interfere with high quality CPR, which to date is the only thing that actually helps our patients. That, uh, that apical four is like hundred percent my favorite. And we, what, one of the things is that you can actually like do that during compressions. Like it doesn't really get in the way of compressions at all. It's a really good view, but sometimes weirdly enough, like the parasternal I think works sometimes. And if you're doing a parasternal or even a sub xiphoid, what I always do is, is basically like at eight seconds, have somebody count down and at eight seconds, take the probe off and take one second with to wipe the gel off with a rag that you have in your other hand and then you still don't get in the way. And it's kind of like, if you don't get the view pretty soon, like it's unlikely that you're going to get a good view. I bet that, you know, if somebody had 20 seconds to check the pulse, they might actually find one that they didn't really feel before, but they didn't find it in the 10 seconds. So they didn't have a pulse and we have to treat the echo the same way. If you don't get a good view within about eight to nine seconds, it's time to get off the chest. And I think if they're not pushing you off their chest, hop on back up, right? Like if your pulse is that hard to find or your heart is that hard to find, it's probably also not doing that good of a job. So just get back on. I'm with you guys and I agree with, I like the apical four chamber as well. I think, Cray, you brought up the biggest problem with this study is that live patients and dead patients are really different and there's a lot of other things that could make the parasternal long axis harder or maybe less quality in patients that are actively getting chest compressions. The authors do acknowledge that. I mean, this is really a pilot study. There's no way they could have gotten this many arresting patients. So this is just the first step in this hypothesis, and I think it's a great first step. The second thing, though, is is the 0.5 second difference, really. Is it going to be the thing that now, finally, we don't waste so much time off the chest? And I'm not sure that's quite enough to to bear the burden of that improvement alone. So I'm, I'm with you guys. This is promising. It's interesting but maybe it's not the end of the discussion. It's a good start of the discussion because I don't know if this discussion itself has actually been started. You know, which view is best and how long does it take to get every view? I mean, this is like the first step and then the next step is, you know, adding the apical four and then actually doing it on arresting patients. I do like that table though about the high quality. You're either going to get it or you're not. Like, I think that's a game changer. And we don't always practice that because we're stubborn. And we're like, but I need to see the heart. Like, I love that table. And I think especially in your cardiac arrest patients can move you to a no go. Like if you can't feel a pulse, you can't find the heart, just get back on the chest kind of mentality instead of like, but if I find it, it might change what I do. This is kind of saying if you find it, it's probably going to be horrible quality. And it's not likely going to contribute to what you're going to do. So maybe abandon early. I'm not sure if we ever described that that table, but table two that Cray is in love with is basically just showing that the fastest acquired images had the highest quality. And somewhat counterintuitively, if you took longer to get the image, the quality was not good. And probably because they were struggling to find any sort of good window there. I'll end with this great thought from the authors that I really appreciated. They said, even if we find one of these views to ultimately be the best, you should still use your clinical judgment to figure out in the patient in front of you what view you're going to do. So I like that idea where it's not just a blanket statement, always do subxiphoid, always do personal long axis. There's going to be some variations to the patients. You have to decide what's going to work in that situation. 
To summarize this article, prospective multi-center study over 6,000 images in not critically ill emergency department patients, personal long axis clocked in 0.5 seconds faster than the subxiphoid and had overall better image quality. Our take-home points from this article is that this is a really well done proof of concept study successfully making the case that there may be benefit to the personal long axis view for a brief focused echo such as you would perform in cardiac arrest. However, given the difference between cardiac arrest patients and this patient population, as well as some of the questionable clinical significance of these findings, we still need more research prior to implementing this data clinically. Thanks so much to these authors. Really cool work. This is a star-studded author group as usual. I appreciate all the work they're doing with the Reason Group and look forward to more from them. Thank you to our audience for sticking with us for another podcast, and we will talk to you later. More, pressure, more, gel, more, pressure, more, gel, 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 more, g